going to go ahead and invite you to open or grab your Bible, grab your notes. And if you don't already have a pen with you to write with, or maybe you use your tablet, go ahead. At the end, there's four or five different places where there's some Bibles and some pens. Just get up and go get one. Today, you're going to need it. I was purposeful in not giving you a ton of notes there for you, meaning I didn't give you any. Um, and uh, I want you to write these things down today. In fact, I need, here's something I don't have. I need a stand here. Here we go. The, uh, go ahead and grab that as we are able to look and walk through a lot of different passages of Scripture today and explore who he is. I said it previously. I want to tell you again, I, I'm just excited for today's message. Uh, I, I told you the story once about this guy who started a church. Uh, he, he, it was his first Sunday going to a church as a pastor, and he preached on love, right? You know the story. Hopefully you do. And he preached it, and it was a great sermon. And then the next Sunday, um, he came and he preached the exact same message again. And all of a sudden, all the leadership got really worried. He's like, okay, does he, what's going on here? Third Sunday in a row, he preached it again. Exact same message on the love of God. And then the leadership calls him in and says, what's going on here? And he says, well, I figure until you get this right, you don't need to hear anything else. Right? So it's that whole thing. To me, this message is not necessarily, it, it is on the love of God, but really the one word that I would summarize it by is grace. So just go ahead and write overwhelming grace at the top of your page. Literally, I'm going to walk you through some things because this is this idea of God. Your theology, right? The word theology means your idea of who God is. So you need to know what your theology is. And so when it comes to your theology, your idea of who God is, this message is one that really, it shifted my view on life. I did a great job running after Joel until I was in my mid to late 20s. Right? And I'm not saying I still don't mess up and I still don't do that sometimes, but I did a great job running after my desires, my wants. I could tell you right away, if you came to me and said, hey, what do you want for your life? I could be like, I want boom, 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 boom. But if you came to me and said, what's God want for your life? I'd go, well, he, yeah, that's cool. Right? And maybe you're the same way. If I came to you and said, what do you want for your life? You would be able to lay out what you're wanting for your life, even in 2018. But what if I came to you and said, what does God want for your life? What does God want for your life in 2018 and in 19 and 2020 for the rest of your life? And sometimes we don't have that answer. And it's this, this, this message today that kind of, again, it started to shift the way that I comprehend certain things in life and the way that I view everything. And I've called it overwhelmed by grace, overwhelming grace. And so I want to speak to you really about giving. Not giving in terms of what we give to God, don't worry. All right? Right then you're all like, I'm out. I want to speak to you about what God has given to us. I want to speak to you today about what God has given to us um, in the form of grace. And then after we speak about that, well, this is going to be twofold. We're going to speak about what God has given to us in terms of grace, but then we're going to speak about what the response to that is for us. It's twofold. You can't have one and then not have the other. So you're going to have this overwhelming grace and then you're going to have this response that comes with grace. That's why we always say every time God speaks, it demands what? A response. And it does. It, it, it demands a response in our own life. So we're going to look at this today and make sure that we have, one, a proper view of grace and what God has done, a proper understanding of grace. Uh, 
ironically, while Jesus doesn't use the word one time, Paul uses it over a hundred times. So Jesus doesn't use that actual word once, and yet here Paul is using it more than 100 times to continually speak about who Christ is. One of the, the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one who is full of grace. Now, Jesus didn't speak it, but he did demonstrate it time and time again. The God who made all things, who is holy and just, right? He's not, give, he's not, he's not demanding us to have the punishment that we really deserve. Why? Because of grace. That's what it is. It's because of grace. It's when someone, you know that you're not worthy of it. Here, here's a good way. Um, someone cannot fully comprehend grace without first fully understanding who God is and then second, understanding who you are. You must have a proper view of who God is. You have to have a proper view of who you are. God is sovereign. God is perfect. God is creator. God is sustainer. God is the heavenly father. We are sinners. We're fallen. We're broken. We've all made mistakes. We need to be held accountable to those things. And we need to be sharpened. And so someone who is full of, I'll tell you, someone who's full of pride and arrogance will never fully comprehend grace. One of the sisters of understanding grace is humility. That's why it tells us in Philippians 2, we go to the passage often. It talks about the humility of Christ, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That was that of humility. It tells us that he did that. And so here's humility. And so someone who's humble and understands who God is, but they also understand their own sin and their own life. They make mistakes. They, they're easy to say, you know what, I'm a sinner. Like some, For some people, they can't even say, I messed up. They can't even say it. They can't get it out of their mouth. I, I mess. And they say, well, no, 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 I just didn't do it the best way possible. No, you messed up. Anybody done that before? Can you just admit that you messed up? No, I just, there was a better way to do it. No, say that you messed up. Well, no, I mean, I just think that, you know, I, I didn't have, I didn't know everything that was taking place. Say that you, and we can't do it. We can't get it out of our mouth. Anybody married to someone like that, don't raise your hand. We can't get it out of our mouth. And that's called pride. Someone who is prideful cannot understand the full impact and the radical nature of grace. And so we have this opportunity that in humility we get to understand who God is, but also we could understand who we are. We have to see ourselves in view of who God is, not see God is in terms of who we see ourselves as being. We've got to make sure we get the order correct. Why? Because grace not only gives eternal life, yes, we, we speak of that, it's by grace alone. We know those words, Paul speaks of it often, that it's by grace alone that we can receive eternal life. But grace also radically changes our life now. It, like it, there is a shift that happens when you begin to understand God's grace. In the way that you make decisions, in the way that you live your life, in the way that you have relationships, and in, in, in the way in which you parent or the way that you're a friend to someone else. Grace shifts all of those things. It's recognizing who you are, it's recognizing who Jesus is. 
And it's the humility of embracing the greatness of grace. That's what we have to be able to speak about. A few passages for you to write down. I'll read them out, but I'm just going to call them out for you so you can scribble them down. And my goal is that as you prepare for 2018, um, that you're going to go back in the next day or so and reread these things for yourself. Because I'm praying that 2018 for all of us is a year of grace. I'm praying it's an opportunity for us to really encounter the greatness of God and what he's done. So Acts 20, 24, here's one of them for you. Acts 20, 24, and this is what it says. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. What powerful words. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. My only goal, all right, this is the book of Acts written by Luke. His only goal was to do what God wanted him to do. What if in 2018, your only goal was to do what God desires for you to do? And everything was measured by such. He says, here's my only goal. Uh, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I just want to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task, and he's even, he's even speaking to what the goal is. Here it comes. So I'm, I'm about to give you what your goal is for 2018. Not out of arrogance saying, I know what the answer is, but I do in terms of scripture, God does. He says, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I'm going to have a good 2018 if my life is about testifying to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's a good year. And if that's my goal, if that's my aim, that's what he's speaking about. Why? Because he wants to testify to the good news of God's grace. That's what he desires in every business decision and everything else. No matter what's going on, that should be the aim that we have. Romans 3.24, write that one down if you would, please. Romans 3.24 says, and all are justified freely by his grace. We're justified by his grace, not by anything that you can do. We talk about that all the time. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Guys, I know that the world, world is wanting to make sure you know how awesome you are. But do you recognize that the freedom of Christ for me means that I know how miserable I am without Jesus. And by saying it and, and recognizing that I'm a sinner and recognizing, you know, uh, there's a freedom that comes in my life of where I just, my shoulders they're not tense anymore because I go, you know what? God's done this for me. God's done this for me. Romans 5 verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. That's Romans 5 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When was the last time you boasted of the hope that you have in the glory of God? Right? The word boast there in Greek literally means something that you speak to. When was the last time you spoke to the hope that you have in the glory of God? You're, you're communicating that. You're speaking to that. A powerful message for us. Another one I want to jump into is Colossians 1, 6 through 8. And I'll get to tell you, next week I'm starting a series on the book of Colossians. It's not a very long book, but there's so much rich material there. And so we're going to jump into Colossians starting next week. It's going to be a lot of fun for us. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, 6 through 8. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. 
here's what the good news, we talked about the grace of God and the good news. And it says, and it's going to tell us what the good news is doing. It says, it is, meaning the good news, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Where is the grace of God, the good news, bearing fruit in your own life? And what lives is that fruit changing? It says, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so then you have to ask yourself, do you really understand God's grace? If it's not bearing fruit, if it's not changing the lives around you because of what it's producing, do you fully comprehend God's grace? Right? God's grace is what lets timidity fly out the door for me. Like being overwhelmed by God's grace is why I have no problem walking up to anybody. I don't care if you're a Meyer or anywhere else and saying, hey, how are you doing? And if I feel like that you need prayer, I want to pray for you right then. Because God's grace is predominant in all aspects of my life. How can I say I worry about what a person is going to think of me when here's what God thought of me is that I needed redemption and so he gave it to me by giving and sacrificing his son. That's what grace does. It begins to overwhelm you in such a way where, where the voice of people mean nothing to me, very little. I'm sorry, but God's voice, God's word, God's truth means far more to me than what you think of me. And that's a, it's a different mentality. It's a different attitude that starts to penetrate your life and to, and to come and to lift you up. And it helps you to walk forward. And it strips away the stresses that other people have in life. It strips away those little, those little splinters that people have in life. And it pulls them out because you go, wow, I'm living in God's grace, something I don't deserve. I have a proper view of God. I have a proper view of myself. And as a result, I'm so overwhelmed at what he's done for me that I want to make sure that his fruit is coming out of my life. And it tells us that if so, if you really understand the truth about God's wonderful grace, you're going to bear so much fruit, it's going to just change the lives around you. So what type of fruit is coming from the grace that you've experienced? Another thing I want to do, Ephesians 1, write that down, Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. I'm going to grab a different translation here. This is an old school. Uh, this is good news translation. I don't always like the accuracy of it, but on some of it, I think it gives a wonderful description. Um, Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. And actually, I'm going to read 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Just listen to this. This is amazing. And hopefully you're just going to absorb, wow, this is who Jesus is, and this is how much he loves me. It says, for by the death of Christ, we are set free. Now, what are we set free from? One, ourselves and our sin and the weight that that bears on us of thinking that we have to live according to the standards of the world. Here's the beauty. I'm not supposed to live according to the standards of the world. I'm supposed to live according to the standards of God. Wow, my life just got a lot less stressful, less worrisome. Less anxiety-ridden. He says, for by the death of Christ we are set free. Literally the Greek word, the set free there, means to be released. You are released from your current life to live a greater life. That's what that's speaking of. That is, our sins are forgiven. Praise God, amen? 
How great is the grace of God? He just calls it out. Which he gave to us in such large measure. I'm going I'm to just reread that again because it's so fantastic. How great is the grace of God which he gave to us in such large measure. In all his wisdom and insight, God did what he had purposed and made known to us the secret plan he had already decided to complete by means of Christ. God's plan, which he will complete even when the time is right, is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as the head. Here's the thing, when we read through all these passages that we start to pick up on, that we start to learn, is that we need to experience God's grace in order to understand God's grace. This is why I always ask you, listen, if you struggle with speaking about who God is to you, to do one of two things. Either say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you go up to someone, hey, how can I pray for you right now? That, that should not be a hard thing to do. The other thing is say, hey, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? These are two of the easiest ways for us to naturally share what God is doing and who he is to us and his grace and his love and his passion. Those are the two kind of things that we could be doing, just walking up to people. How can I pray for you? Hey, can I tell you what God's doing in our life? And the reason we, I ask you to come and say, hey, let me tell you what God's doing in my life is because really what you're doing is you're speaking to them about grace. And we need to experience grace in order to understand grace. How have you understood grace in your own life? Do you feel that you really even need it? Not just for the eternal, but for the now. And again, if the answer is no, there's pride in that. There's arrogance in that. And you're not going to fully comprehend grace. I remember um, first day of going uh, to play high school football. And I was going, and the coach, Coach Cohen, oh, my goodness, he thought what he would do is he would whittle the field down from 80 players to 50 the first day. And so we just ran banks. You know what those are? You had this big bank that you just run up and down. He said, let's do 10. And he, so we did 10, and then he goes, let's do 10 more. And then he goes, let's do 10 more. And we did two and a half hours of banks. Um, and I was hurting. And literally right then I think we had four people quit. And it's, it's as though he wanted to see really what we were going to be made of. He wanted to see if we were going to endure. He wanted to see if it's something that we were willing to give up something to be a part of. And that's something that we've got to comprehend. Are we willing to give up ourselves in order for something greater? Are we willing to do that? Because many of us are asking God to come and to to jump into our current life and just to make it prettier and to polish the edges and, and to help us live according to the way we're currently living rather than saying, God, I know that your plans are greater. Can you, just, can you just tear apart anything you need to tear apart and let me live according to your will? And I know that sounds scary, but it's the greatest way to live life because of God's grace. We need to experience grace in order to understand grace. So you need to be able to say, hey, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? Let me tell you how I'm experiencing grace. And as you tell people about that, there's nothing more attractive 
There's nothing more attractive. For, for God to do something through you, God first has to do something in you. It's another way of saying it. For God to do something through you, God must do something in you. And so we need to be able to speak and communicate about what God's doing in our lives. Right? After church today, I want to invite every single one of you to come and tell me, not really, um, but to come and say, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. Let me tell you how I'm experiencing grace. Go to someone. Go to a friend. Go to a colleague. Go to a neighbor. Go to a family member and speak to them and say, can I tell you what God is doing in my life? Why? Because in order for God to do something through you, God first has to do something in you. And we need to be able to speak about that. That's God's grace. I want to give you some examples, and even though Jesus Christ wasn't using the word grace, I want to give you some examples of how he demonstrated grace. One of the first ones I think about is um, Matthew, the, uh, otherwise known, as, also known as Levi. He's a task collector, and here God is coming in and doing this marvelous work. And here's this task collector, and you know that his mom was like, oh, maybe he'll be a great scholar or something like that. And now he's one of the most hated people because he's a task collector. And yet God comes into his life, and he does a marvelous work. And he chooses to use him as one of the people that he helped to change the world with. That's one of the ways that God showed grace is that when the world probably had given up on someone completely, God said, no, 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 I want to use you for great things. So even if you think other people have given up on you and what you can do and what you can achieve uh, for the kingdom, and hopefully it's for the kingdom and not just for themselves, even though others may feel that way about you, know that God is saying, no, I've got more for you. Another example would be uh, in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, is the healing of a leper. And I want to jump into this real quick because um, when, you were, when you had leprosy back then, it's a skin disease, right? And when you had leprosy, you were, in essence, um, you were sentenced to a life of never being touched again. Because it was believed that if you touched that person, then you would gain leprosy yourself. You would get this skin disease and you would die from it, etc. And so you were being sentenced um, not only to move out of the village or the town that you're in. They were, there were communities of lepers and they would be sent out to those places. But that you were being sentenced to a life of never being touched. Can you imagine that? Of never receiving a pat on the back or a handshake or a hug or anything like that ever again. And that's what you're being sentenced to in life. And yet here, here Jesus Christ comes and it's in Luke chapter 5. And it says that he's, here's Jesus and he was in one of the cities. There's a man full of leprosy. He saw Jesus, fell on his face, begged him, Lord, if you will, can, you can make me clean. And Jesus, it says this, it says he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus didn't have to do that. I can give you other illustrations, whether it be Jairus' daughter or someone else, where Jesus, he healed people without even seeing them, without touching them. He just spoke the words. Even people would say, you don't have to come. I know that if you just speak the words, that's faith, right? I know that my, my son or my daughter will be healed. Those things happen throughout scripture. And yet here Jesus is coming and he's touching the untouchable. Why? Because of grace. And so there it is in Luke chapter 5, 12 through 16. We see this amazing story for us. And he didn't have to do that, but he reached out and touched them. That's God showing grace. Another one that we find is in John chapter 8. One more illustration for you in John chapter 8. 
right? It's, it's the religious leaders, and they're all coming, and they, they basically, in essence, they drag this woman in front of Christ. They throw this woman at his feet who had literally been caught in the act of adultery, it says. And they were testing Jesus, really. They were just using this woman as a prop. They were using this woman just to try to trap Jesus and to get him in a tremendous amount of trouble. But what he did instead was, hey, let the first of you who has no sin throw the first stone. And, of course, they all walk away. And then he looks at her and says, go and sin no more. That was Christ showing grace. This is, this is what hit me one day. And I told you from my mid-20s on, this is what started to shift everything for me. And the way I look at life and even wanting to make sure I do for self started to change. Is that I recognized that I was the woman who committed adultery. And I was the leper who really wasn't worthy to be touched. And I was the Levi of which many people thought nothing could ever be done or used properly with my own life. Right? I'm the guy who had, right, couldn't hear, didn't speak till I was six years old. I had braces that I wore on my feet up to my knees because I couldn't walk right. I mean, I was an ugly child. I was a guy who just to be able to speak to my parents, the only one who could really understand me was my brother. So they'd have to call my brother at the friend's house. I'd say, hey, this is what I want. And then they could finally get me some juice or whatever it is that I was asking for. I'm that guy. I'm the Levi. And it just hit me one day, the beauty of recognizing how worthless I am without the name of Jesus Christ in my life. Have you come to that place of recognizing how worthless you are without Christ? One more example. Jesus on the cross, we always speak about the seven last words. Here's Jesus demonstrating grace for you. Um, Jesus uh, has seven, la seven last words. We look through the Gospels. And as he's on the cross, we see seven phrases that he spoke um, before he died. And as they are mocking him and spitting on him and, and laughing at him, here's the ultimate grace is that he looked out and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That's the power of grace. I want, I want us to sit in it. I want us to sit deep. Sit deep into the, the mass, the plenty of God's overwhelming grace. See, that's the thing. You, you can't understand grace without recognizing that you're broken. Every single one of us, we're all broken. We're all broken. If you're broken, please raise your hand. Say, I'm broken. Say it a little louder, I'm broken. 
Like just declare, if you just go ahead and say it, it feels a lot better. But now say this, I've been redeemed. I know God's grace. It's a wonderful thing to declare. Like someone who's not quite certain of it, they're going, I don't know. They're going, okay, I'm broken. Hallelujah. All right? But if you, if you live in that and you know that, that you're broken and that you're misery, you're, you're going to live a life of misery without Christ. If you recognize that, there's so much freedom and so much beauty to declare that I know the grace of God. It alters everything. Just, I, I want us to, to I, that's why I run around, I get so excited. I can't help it. Because I recognize how broken I am, but I recognize I've been redeemed by Christ and I can't believe he would do that for me. Why? Because you have to experience grace. I experienced grace and everything changed in my life. The things that I never would have done before because I would have been so concerned with what other people would have said and what they would have thought of me and how they would have belittled me and everything else. All of a sudden, I didn't care because I knew God's grace. That's where, think if we as a church, if every single one of us starts to live in that grace, right? It says, we just, we're just thinking about before, oh, come to the altar. If we come to the altar and just get overwhelmed by just waves and waves and waves of God's grace. We're all broken. See, that's the thing, prideful people. The ones who don't recognize that they're broken, they don't see any need for grace. Like, if you don't see any need, why well, don't we really need God's grace? I mean, if it's, what, if it's what I have to say, yes, God died on the cross for me, and I believe in him, I confess, and he's Lord of my life. And you think you have to say that in order to have salvation. I would tell you scripturally, you don't have salvation. Yes, I understand it says confess with your mouth, but when it's speaking of the word confess in the original language, it means there's an action. There's something that you go into. It's not just something you utter from your lips and then all of a sudden you're good. It means that literally there's a life, there's an altering change, there's a verb, it's an action that comes with that. And so we have to recognize our own brokenness. And for me, that's not a beat up message. That's a glorious message because in the midst of recognizing my own brokenness, I see God's overwhelming grace and I can't believe what he's done. And then you get those people who maybe they're not so prideful to say that they don't need Christ, they don't need grace, but they speak it so quietly because they don't want anybody else to know, but they think that that'll be good enough. And the only way they're going to speak about God is if you just ask them, well, do you really believe in Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, I mean, I believe, right? What I would tell you is that's someone who has not experienced God's grace. Every single person in Scripture, we, keep, we always want to say, we want to go to the Word of God, we want to go to Scripture, we want to learn from it. Every single person in Scripture who experienced the grace of God lived a radical life to follow according to the world. They, it wasn't possible to blend back in to the community, to the society in which they were in. It did not happen. Think of this. Let it mess with you. 
I mean, these are the words, this is, this is the message, all these passages, all these scriptures that are coming and jumping off of the page. All of a sudden, I recognize the fullness, the, the enormity of all of it, and it just changed everything. And that's what took place. And people go, well, you, it's just, it's not a matter of works. I agree it's not a matter of works. Works are never the basis of salvation. You need to know that. But, but they follow salvation as one experiences God. As you experience God, you just want to, you want to emulate him. You want to be like him and you want to be obedient to him. If you struggle in being obedient to God, it's because you've been very limited in your experience of God's grace. That's what it comes down to. Because if you fully have been captivated by the grace of God and understand what that means for you, then you have absolutely no problem or hesitation in going, I want to be obedient to God, regardless of what that may mean. There's no struggle with that. Please hear me. If you're struggling with being obedient to God's word, God's truth, God's scripture, if you don't want to give back to God, even though we know what scripture says financially about our finances and giving back to God, if you struggle with that, you're struggling with understanding what grace is. I would just say you need to really evaluate if you do know what God's grace is because it will overwhelm you where you're eager to do far more than that because you've been just simply had your mind blown by what God has done for you. It's the same thing if you're choosing to live with other people and you're not in wedlock and you're going, you know, I'm going to live with this person anyway, when you know that's not God's plan for you. If you're choosing to be overcome by any kind of addiction in your life that controls your impulses and controls your actions other than Holy Spirit, that's a sin. We're to be controlled by nothing other than the Holy Spirit. If you're choosing that life, you have no problem surrendering those things if you've been overwhelmed by the grace of God. This should change our lives. Grace is one of our struggles is that grace is often interpreted through the lens of how we see ourselves rather than seeing grace through the eyes of God. I promise that you don't see yourself as God sees you, as his child. Right? That's what having even children does to you. Right? You're, you're willing to love them even when they do things that really you just want to kick them out of the van for. Does that sound personal? Right? I don't even remember. They, they were doing something yesterday. We drove back from the UP. We went dog sledding the other day in the UP. I'm a Michigander. Hallelujah. When you've gone dog sledding, you've got nothing on me. Right? Come on. I'm driving back. And all I remember, I, I, we're driving down. Is it Graylord? Gaylord? Something. You know what I mean. We're driving. And the snow's complete, uh, all over the road, interstate, everything. And I just said, I'm going to get, I'm pulling over. And you're all going to walk a mile on this. Like, really? I'm not going to do that. But then I thought, you're my children, I love you. That, like, you don't, if, you're, if you're the child of the Father, you don't understand that parent's love. 
and what he's willing to do for us. Here's another way to think about it, is that grace catapults us into responding to God. Grace, write that one, please. Grace catapults us into responding to God. Grace catapults us into a life of responding to God. And so I want to give you a couple things very quickly. Here's one of the things that happens when you've been overwhelmed by grace. This is what happens in your own life. This is one of the ways that we respond to it, is that we extend that same grace to others. People typically extend grace according to what they've experienced for themselves. If you find someone who's not willing to be a very forgiving person, I'll typically, typically show you someone who has not experienced the forgiveness of the Father. But when you've been overwhelmed by the grace of God, you want to extend that grace yourself to other people and other circumstances and other situations. You want to be able to extend that grace. Another thing that we want to do, second, that's first, we want to extend grace. When you've experienced God's radical, overwhelming grace, you want to respond by extending grace to other people. Second, though, is that you want to sacrifice for grace. You want to extend grace, but you also want to sacrifice for grace. One, extend grace. Two, sacrifice for grace. Why? Because when I sacrifice for God, whether it be money or time or energy or maybe it's vacation so that I can do something else with those resources, whatever that is, when we sacrifice, when I sacrifice for God, we don't do it out of guilt. We sacrifice out of grace. I don't ever feel guilty in what I'm doing for God. I get to do for God. That's why I tell people who work here, you get to work at Chapel Point. You don't have to. If you don't think that you get to, I can change that. And I'm very honest and direct about it because we get to serve the mighty God, the creator of the universe, and his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we sacrifice, because that means on Christmas Eve when all of you are hanging out, all these people up here, none of these people up here today are paid to do what they're doing. And they're giving 12 hours on Christmas Eve to be in this place and lead four different services. You don't do that out of guilt. You do that because you've been so overwhelmed by God's grace yourself that you want to sacrifice for him. Why? Because God we're, we're broken, we're sinners, and God has gone into action over our sin. We've, I've said that so many times in my life. God has gone into action over our sin. God has gone into action over our sin and the giving of his son. And so we extend God's grace. We sacrifice for grace. And then lastly, we speak of God's grace. We extend, we sacrifice, and we speak. Because it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What he's saying is we've been given this ministry, we've heard it, this ministry of reconciliation. We are to be ambassadors, we are to be his representation, his representatives, we are to be his reflection. And our responsibility, once we 
experience God's grace is to let other people know about his grace. God chooses to use us to speak for him. And sometimes that means we just run into the storm. Last thought for you, very, very briefly. Um, I always ask people, I look at Cindy Lou Heath right back there at the very back. Cindy works with me on a daily basis. And very, one of the very first questions I asked her when we got to know each other is, I asked you, are you a cow or a buffalo? And she looked at me and she goes, I don't think I want to work with you. I said, no, there's, there's a difference between a cow and a buffalo. And because of the way I've experienced God's overwhelming grace in my own life, it allows me to be a buffalo. Here, here's, this is just truth. This is what it is. And in fact, do you still have the sign up behind your desk? She now has a buffalo picture behind her desk because she chooses to be a buffalo. Here's the difference. When you have a huge uh, group of cows, ca- cattle together, and they see a storm coming, you know what they do? They start walking away from the storm. That's what they start doing. You know what a buffalo does when they see a storm coming? They run to the storm because what they've learned is that when they run into the storm, they get out of the storm quicker. And so I asked her, are you a cow or a buffalo? And she said, I I want to be a buffalo. And sometimes the greatest way to show God's grace is to run into the storm of life. And you don't mind the lightning and you don't mind the thunder. You don't mind the wind that is about to push you around. Because the grace of God has so overwhelmed your life that you're willing to endure it. I mean, that, that is what God's grace does. And so maybe you don't know what you want 2018 to look like. But I pray that it is a year of God's grace. Pray it's a year of God's grace. Ah, he loves us so much. Will you live in that? Let's stand together. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you. The musicians, the team, they're going to come back out. And we're going to better respond to God by singing to him. God, I come before you. And I recognize, God, that I am broken. But I also recognize, God, that I have been given your grace. Lord, thank you for your grace. And that then we get to extend it to others and to sacrifice for it and to share it. God, may we just jump into the deep end of a pool of your grace. May we recognize our brokenness and the humility that we need to have in our own life so that we can truly live in joy and freedom that only comes in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.